1: In order to avoid the shame and the embarrassment, Mary gets out of town. The Bible says she made haste in verse uh, 39. She made haste. She went fast. And she goes to the house of Elizabeth, soon to be the mother of John the Baptist. When Mary walked in the house, she greeted Elizabeth and Zacharias was there. And when she greeted Elizabeth and Zacharias, John the Baptist leapt in her womb. Isn't that interesting? I mean, she walks in the house and she says, hey guys, and John the Baptist starts doing flips in her stomach. I mean, interesting. And then the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit fills Elizabeth. Now listen, here's a byline here. This is the second person in the New Testament filled with the Holy Spirit. Who was the first? John the Baptist. Don't you remember in her womb, verse 15 tells us that John the Baptist will be filled with the spirit from his mother's womb. So John the Baptist is the first, Mary is, or pardon me, Elizabeth being the second. And then Elizabeth said to Mary with a loud voice, blessed are you among women, which must've been a real confirmation for Mary. I mean, think about that. Don't you remember? It was the angel who said to Mary, Mary, First, blessed are you among women. And then Elizabeth comes back and says the same thing. Blessed are you among women. The Bible tells us, by the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. And that was a confirmation for Mary, because I'm sure, remember, she's only a teenager. Mary's probably thinking, man, am I crazy? I mean, I think, I mean, an angel shows up and says, you're going to be the mother of God. Mary's thinking, did that really happen? I mean, did I have bad tacos last night? I mean, what did that really happen? God says, yeah, it really happened. And I'm going to give you another witness to prove to you that it really happened. Elizabeth says the same thing that the angel said. Are you getting me? Blessed are you among women. Now, let me point this out to you, saints. I want to draw your attention to verse 44. Please look at verse 44 again, because as soon as the greeting was made, are you looking at verse 44? If you're looking at it, say, I'm looking at it. Amen. Notice the babe leaped in my womb for joy. Did you see that? And keep in mind, Elizabeth is about six months pregnant. Give me your attention. Look at me. Elizabeth is about six months pregnant, and the baby leaps for joy. Please note this, at the age of six months in the womb, the baby has emotion. Now, I'm going to make my second political statement in two weeks from this pulpit right now. Remember, I told you, I believe the pulpit is for the preaching of the gospel and not for politics. I really believe that, but I also believe that there are times where we need to we need to address this. The baby leaps for joy. The baby in the womb has emotion. There are people who will try to fill your mind with nonsense and tell you that a baby is not a baby until the baby is born what we learn from the scriptures. No, a baby is a baby at conception because this baby is still in the womb and the baby has emotion. Joy is an emotion. Joy is an emotion. This baby leaped for joy. As a matter of fact, I remember reading somewhere and I couldn't really find my source, but I remember reading somewhere. Get this: at the age of 16 weeks, did you know this? At 16 weeks, a baby starts to hear. At 16 weeks, isn't it interesting? 16 weeks they start to hear, and about 16 years they stop. <laughs> Where my parents at? Where my parents at? <laughs> isn't that true? <laughs> that the truth. They start to hear at 16 16 weeks. You know, Jewish women, as a matter of fact, fact, ask some Jewish people. Jewish women, when they conceive, they will often begin to just rub their stomachs and maybe the dads will rub the mom's stomach and begin to talk to the baby and say, the Lord our God is one God. The Lord our God is one God. And Jewish people come out of the womb knowing that the Lord our God is one God. Because mom and dad start telling the baby in the womb, the Lord our God is one God. I remember my wife was pregnant, and uh, with my 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 son, and uh, that would be the, the big person in the cage was back there, the the very large person. You know, I, re- I you know, is he here? Is he in here? Because I was going to say, you know, I think we might need to get a bigger cage. That's a big boy back there. I'm, that's a big boy. He was ten pounds and ten ounces at birth. I told you that. I told you. My wife didn't give birth to a son. She gave birth to a turkey. <laughs> it was huge. I mean, she was pregnant. our father was out there here. And, uh, you know, don't ever do this. Uh, fellas, listen, don't ever do this. My wife was very, very, Rodney Jr. was huge. And my wife was out there here. And one time, I, you know, she was just so out. I, I put a cup on there. I just sent a cup. <laughs> Well, needless to say, I never did that again. That's all. <laughs> Hallelujah. And uh, <laughs> she was huge. And I, remember, I used to talk to my kids when they were in the womb. I'd say, you know, um, I have rub of our stomach. I'd go, you know, hi, uh, how you doing? You know, this is dad. And, uh. Uh, no, you can't have any more money, and uh, start getting used to my voice because you're going to be hearing it for a long, long, long time. And no, you can't have a keys or car. You know, you start getting them ready, coming out the womb. But usually, you know, the kids start to hear. Here's the point: in the womb, children start to hear, and they are people. And when you take the life of a child in the womb, you're taking the life of a person. And that's what we call abortion. And I should say to you, listen, perhaps you're here. I said this all three servants, thank you, Lord. Perhaps you're here and you've had an abortion and maybe you carry that in your heart. And maybe you're weighted down by that. And maybe Satan is using that to hinder you from moving forward in your relationship with God and what God wants for your life. Because Satan is the accuser of the brethren. Did you know that? And whatever you do, Satan will accuse you. Satan will use your past. Listen, here here is spiritual warfare, attacks on the enemy 101. Satan will use your past to accuse you and to keep you from moving forward to your future. Satan will do that. He reminds you of your past. But can I tell you something? When Satan reminds you of your past, you remind him of his future. (laughs) You understand? You remind him of his future. And he'll use it to accuse you. And maybe you've had an abortion. Second service. Today. This gentleman came up to me and he said, Pastor Rodney, it's not only women that Satan uses that against. He just started weeping right there. And I told him what I'll tell you. The Bible says any man who is in Christ is a new creature. And all things that we have done prior to knowing Jesus, I call it BC days before Christ, Everything that you have done prior to knowing the Lord, God has wiped the slate clean. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things pass away and behold, all things become new. The Bible tells us, Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation. Listen, God's not condemning you. God is not condemning you. Can you clap your hands? That's exciting news. That's good news. That's great news. God's not condemning you. Satan condemns you. God doesn't condemn. He convicts. Satan condemns. God is not condemning you. And what we need to do is be happy about that, confess our sin to the Lord, and then walk forward. And leave the old things behind. And the things that you've done, don't do them again. Just don't do those things again. It's called repentance. You don't do those things again. And you move forward to what God has for your life. There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ. Well, let's move forward. Look at verse 45, if you will. Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit. And I hope that encourages you. Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit. And she says, blessed is she who believed. That word blessed, are you taking notes? It literally means, oh, how happy. Oh, how happy. I love that verse. Because this is probably a very difficult time in Mary's life. And yet, it's Elizabeth. And by the way, Elizabeth is an old saint. She is an elderly woman. Listen, and she's a beautiful woman in the Lord. I think there are three times in the life of a woman where she is most beautiful. I've said this before. When she is pregnant, I think when she gets married, I think most beautiful. But I also think, listen, when a woman is elderly and she knows Jesus, I think women who are elderly, I think they're just beautiful. I I remember this woman and Michelle, you remember Wincy. You think of Wincy too? Wincy. Wincy was 76 years old and she was so beautiful in the Lord. She used to attend here and she moved to I think she moved to Washington State. Way up Washington State, I think. And uh, but she was so beautiful in the Lord. Her sister, who was like seventy-four, was a missionary on the mission field for many, many years, 40 years, 50 years or whatever. And she was just, Wincy was so beautiful in the Lord. I mean, honestly, talking to her, you felt like you were in the presence of Jesus. Y'all know anybody like that? It's like older people and you're just like, okay. You're like intimidated by them because they know the Lord and they're so sweet. And I get the impression that Elizabeth was like that. She was a sweet elderly woman who encouraged Mary who was a young teenage girl. And she said, Mary, you are blessed. Blessed are you among women. And, 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 and you're, you're going to be, you're highly favored. You're greatly graced. You are blessed. And she just encouraged Mary. And Mary stays with Elizabeth, the Bible tells us, for several months. And uh, probably until Elizabeth gives birth. And they just fellowship together. I think that's sweet. They just kind of fellowship together. And then Zacharias is there. And I'm sure Mary probably looked over at Zacharias and asked Elizabeth, how come he never says anything? <laughs> Mary said, no, he never says a mumbling word. Not a, not a mumbling word. You know, he ain't saying nothing when you say a mumbling word. He ain't saying a mumbling word. And uh, Elizabeth probably said, yeah, we're, we're just actually pen pals now. He doesn't talk and we just write things down. And he's, Zacharias is like, how long is she going to stay here? <laughs> And then, and then notice in verse 46, Mary, notice here, I love this, I love this, I love this, Mary's song. Again, the Magnificat taken from the Latin word magnify. You know, it makes me think of Psalm 34, verse 1 through 3. Don't you know it? Do you, It's a memory verse, actually. David writes, I will bless the Lord at all times. It's on the screen. Can y'all read it with me? I will bless the Lord at all times. I can't, y'all ain't all reading. Read it again. I will bless the Lord at all times and his praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. And let us exalt his name together. We have the word magnify. That word magnify literally means to make large. It means to make great in the eyes, to honor highly. And it's very interesting as you read through here, as we've read, Mary uses the word Lord, God, he, his over 16 times in nine verses which tells us not only is Mary pregnant, but her song is pregnant with praise unto God. And she says, my soul magnifies the Lord. Over and over, she references the Lord. You know what that also tells us about this song? This song is scriptural. Listen to me. This song is scriptural, and this song is biblical. And it is important that the songs that we sing and the songs that we worship to, are you listening, are biblical and scriptural. You know how much bad theology I learned from music? Before I went to a Bible teaching church, we used to sing... I, mean, I thought they were great songs, and we had a wonderful time. But then as I realized, a lot of the songs that we were singing were not biblical. They were, they were teaching bad theology. They were teaching a bad understanding of God. Our worship needs to be biblical. I'm very mindful of that here at Calvary Chapel. If we're going to do a song, it's biblical, and it's going to teach you good Uh, biblical theology, so important. Mary had good theology. She's 14 to 16 years old. She's a teenager and she had good theology and she got that theology without going to Bible college, without going to seminary. She obviously had a love for God and a love for his word that produced a beautiful theology and a deep intimacy with God. As she begins saying, my soul magnifies the Lord. Now, why did Mary magnify the Lord? Let me give them to you quickly. Number one, she magnified the Lord because he saved her. Look at verse 47 again in your Bibles. My spirit has rejoiced in what? Somebody help me, please. God, my Savior. You see that? Mary, listen, knew that she needed a Savior. Growing up. I grew up in the Catholic church, went to Catholic school. And Catholic theology, listen, I say this with love and understanding. Catholic theology teaches that Mary is God. Or she is a co-redemptress, they call her, co-redeemer, co-mediator. That she helped Jesus in purchasing our our our, our souls and forgiving our sins, that she helped Jesus. So on one side of the church, you have people who deify Mary. And then on the other side of the church, you have people who despise Mary to say that Mary was like any other woman. Listen, it is not good either to deify or despise Mary. The reality is that Mary was special. She's favored, highly favorable. So were we. But she was Selected and graced to be the mother of God. Hello, that's special. But she's not God. And Mary knew she wasn't God. And I think Mary would be mortified at the way people revere her today. But Mary knew she wasn't God. She said, I rejoice in God my Savior. Not only that, but if you fast forward to the book of Acts, you find the disciples and the apostles praying in the upper room, and guess who was there? Mary. She was also praying and waiting on the promise of the Holy Spirit like everybody else. So Mary certainly wasn't God, but she was greatly graced, and God did save her. And she says that in verse 47, and that's why she magnifies the Lord. And then secondly, she magnifies the Lord because he chose her. Look at verse 48. She said he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. In other words, Mary knew he could have chosen someone else. Of all the women in Israel, God chose this one teenage girl from the backwoods of Nazareth. And Mary's chosen womb became the holy of holies for the Son of God to dwell. And notice she said the lowly estate. That speaks of her humility. She had an incredible dependency on the Lord. So she magnifies the Lord because he saved her, verse 47. She magnifies the Lord because God chose her, verse 48. She magnifies the Lord because God was mighty in her, verse 49. Mary believed God was working on her behalf. And she believed that she submitted to the will of God, body, soul, and spirit. Body, you'll find that in verse 38. Soul, you'll find that in verse 46. And spirit, you'll find that in verse 47, she submitted to the will of God, body, soul, and spirit. And Mary also magnified the Lord because of not only what he did for her and that he was mighty in her and that he chose her and that he saved her, but also what he did for us. Look at verse 50. His mercy is on those who fear him. Verse 52, The proud he makes to run away and scatter. The weak he lifts up by putting down the mighty and removing them from their man-made thrones. And the hungry shall be filled. And those that were rich walk away, realizing that they were empty. And then finally, Mary magnifies the Lord for what he did for Israel. Look at verse 54 and 55. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. Even though Israel, listen, was disobedient, God would remember his promise that he made to Abraham in Hebron 3,000 years ago. You will find that in Genesis chapter 17. And Mary said, this is the fulfillment of the promise that God made to Abraham. And then the Bible tells us, Mary stayed with Elizabeth probably until John was born or maybe right before John was born. And then she went back home. But think about this as I wrap it up. Think about this. The whole Roman world, think about this. The entire Roman world was turned on its heels all because of one teenager, one girl who God had made a promise in his word when he said, out of the Bethlehem, O Judah, shall come forth the ruler of my people Israel, who's going forth is from everlasting. God prophesied that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. Are you listening? And because God prophesied that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem, it was important that Mary be in Bethlehem when she gave birth to the Messiah. And so God turns the whole Roman world on its heels. Everyone's going back to their hometown for the census to pay taxes, so they think. But it is God who is orchestrating the affairs of men and puppeting the affairs of history just to move this one girl from one location to Bethlehem in order that the promise of the Messiah being born in Bethlehem might be fulfilled. Don't you understand that God is in control? Do you understand that? God is so, God is so in control. And we think that God has fallen off the throne just because we have an election. Oh, that's my third political statement from the fall pit. My bad. Oh, man, God, man. Whoa, wow, I was so concerned with who is in the White House. And I personally, as a pastor, listen... I am honestly mortified at the way that even the church, people who call themselves Christians, I'm not talking about Calvary Chapel, I'm talking about the the church in this country, Christian people. I am am mortified at the way that the church has, has gotten so up in arms and so intense about who finds their way to the seat in the White House. Don't misunderstand me. Please don't get this twisted. I believe that we need to vote. It is a privilege. It is a responsibility. It is a right that we have as citizens of this country to have our say and to exercise our voice and to vote. I think that's very important. I did vote. I'm not going to tell you for who. I think it's our right. It's our responsibility. It's our privilege to vote. But, but I think that we have to be mindful that once we cast our vote, are you listening? Once we cast our vote, then we trust the Lord to whomever is in office, whether you like it or you don't. And quite honestly, listen, I'm coming in for a landing. I'm coming in for a landing. Listen, quite honestly, I don't really care. I'm going to say this. Y'all hear me. I don't really care who's in office. I really don't. You know why? Because ask me Why? Thank you for asking. I don't care who's in office because this is not my home. This is not my home. I am a citizen. I'm just a sojourner passing through, y'all. I'm just passing through, Pastor Riley, passing through. My home is not here. My home is in heaven. And I realize that someday, I realize that someday Jesus is going to come and take me to my home and 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 I know who sits on the throne in heaven is Jesus, and and I can trust his government. so I don't really care, and at the same time, I do vote, and then I trust the Lord. and I think that we have to get to that place as believers and be an example to the world that when it's election time, whomever we think should be in office that is fine to make your position known. But please be careful that you don't cross the line of becoming someone who is seemingly putting their hope in this world. Because you could cast your ballot today, the president could be inaugurated today, and Jesus could come tomorrow. That's all right. I'm not talking to nobody here. That's okay, Joey. Joey, it's all right. You understand? Be careful. If God can turn the whole Roman world upside down for one little virgin girl. Just one. He's in control. Doesn't matter. God's going to take care of us. Failing economy? (laughs) The Bible says I've never seen a righteous forsaken nor a seed begging bread. (laughs) Failing economy? (laughs) Problems, no social security, health care, all these things. God, God's going to heal me. I'm not looking at the health care system. God's going to heal me. And look, death is healing. God might take me home.
0: You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch in Calvary Chapel, Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time.